are you laughing? Sh- Shane, speaking of meddlesome cats, where are we in the <laughs> Dynasty and War campaign? So the Warhammer. <laughs> 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 Live from the Mundangerous Lair of the Abyss in New York City, I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 219 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about the chaotic evil alignment, and probably getting into an argument. But first the rogue traders explore an Eldar burial ground in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, the Eye of Grumsh sees death and destruction in the character creation forge. Total Party Thrill is brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. Do you want to learn the secrets of elven magic? Oh yeah. Do you want to blast your enemies with battle magic? Who doesn't? Do you want to build cunning mechanical servants with clockwork magic? Not really, but I'm sure someone in my group wants to. Well then you should check out Deep Magic from Cobalt Press for 5th edition on Kickstarter. It has time magic, it has rune magic, it has illumination. Is that like the magic of writing in pages? Maybe maybe it's the magic of epiphany. Oh. Maybe maybe it is the magic of teaching. It's the- <laughs> <laughs> And you're like this doesn't pay enough. I think we should unionize. <laughs> Deep magic includes more than 575 new and compiled spells by the best in the business, including Wizards of the Coast staffers and A-list freelancers. <laughs> in this supplement, you'll find new magic schools, sorcerers' origins, warlock patrons, feats, spells, magic items, and more. It is already funded, it is blasting through its stretch goals, and you can find out more at coboldpress.com. So Shane, we are four episodes deep into our live stream of the new Forged in the Dark game, Band of Blades, and it's mm-hmm. been pretty cool. Well, at least the three episodes that we've actually played thus far have been pretty cool. Yeah, when this comes out, we will have finished three episodes and... Uh, or when we record this, we w- will have finished three episodes, and when it comes out, there will be a fourth. Um, so, what's your what's your favorite part of this game? Because I I feel like we have talked about it existing, but we haven't really talked about what's going on and and how we feel about it. Yeah, in the Band of Blades episode we did not too long ago, and then also on the stream, I have mentioned that I I was interested in seeing how the role playing mechanics and the sort of like board game type mechanics mesh together. Um, I am not uh, like a big board game player. I'm, I lean much more heavily into like tabletop RPGs, but I have actually really liked how those decisions inform the fiction. Like the quartermaster decides, like do they spend a supply, right? Which is like an abstracted token on your board, basically, to like figure out if everyone on like the mission that we're all going to play out in real time uh, gets like extra black shot or if we ride horses to get there or whatever right um i i like that sure you tick the sheet down and like oh our morale decreases or whatever by a certain number but it is all because of or informed by what happens actually in the game and the decisions that our characters have made so i think it meshes those two really well yeah and i think our uh our group also cares more about that sort of side of the fiction rather than just maintaining the numbers accurately Though we are desperately trying to get the numbers accurate too, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, how much? How much do we add here? I don't. I don't remember what's the formula. It did help though that um, episode three had the actual designer 
uh, Strash Asimovich. So he was able to be like, uh, yeah, that's not how that role works. Actually, right. that rookie's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so in the, in the course of playing it, we found a, uh, a a little bit of an issue with the, the player sheets, and he's going to issue a correction now, <laughs> um, like update the sheets so that they get released for everybody. And it was like, oh, no, no, they're supposed to be dead. So, See, well, success. That one isn't dead, so <laughs> deal with it. <laughs> Uh, I will say, though, uh, we don't really stream games, right? This is not an actual play podcast, but I have liked it more than I thought I would simply because everybody stays on track for three hours. Oh, yeah, yeah. We get so much more done. As slow as I am always frustrated that we're not, like, moving through the phases of the game, like, in every single stream on time, I still feel like we are constantly on track and we're just spending more time role-playing than I anticipate when I'm planning like the session for you know a two and a half to three hour stream. Right, but the plot is always moving forward. Right. Awesome. So if you want to catch up on old episodes, uh, you can watch the video on demand version of the previous streams at our YouTube channel, which exists. And I guess we'd never really kind of announced that, huh? Yeah. I mean, it has <laughs> just a handful of videos. It's got one playlist of Stream of Blades, and it has one Ghost of Salt Marsh unboxing. YouTube sent over like the metrics from like, oh, your new channel or whatever. And, and I was like, oh, several hundred views. That's interesting. And like 4,000 minutes viewed. Yeah. Like, oh, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. People who start streams finish the streams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you do the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that is youtube.com slash total party thrill. And of course, you can watch us live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. probably for the next uh, eight-ish weeks. Uh, on Twitch, twitch.tv slash don't split the podcast. Shane, speaking of meddlesome cats, where are we in the <laughs> Dynasty and Warranted campaign? So the Dynasty and Warranted campaign is our Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader game played using Dark Heresy 2nd Edition rules by Fantasy Flight Games. And on the Death World Iblis Prime in the frontier city of Meridian, the Rogue Traders have set out to establish a colony in the name of the Holy Throne of Terra and Prophet. And the rogue traders have located the Eldar Exodite burrows that they have been searching for. Uh, Doc befriended an Eldar psychic house cat, and they opened the entry to those barrows with a simple command word. Do you remember? It was uh, like a thought, a mental command. Open. It was definitely a enter the minds of Moria situation there. Mm-hmm. Are we sure that Doc has pre- befriended an Eldar psychic house cat? Or do we think perhaps he is being mentally commanded by an Eldar psychic house cat? Doc is confident he has befriended. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, unreliable narrator. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this is a case where metagaming would have just helped you. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, look, I have constantly been lobbying to just shoot him. <laughs> the, keep the cat, leave the doc. <laughs> All right. So when the door to that second chamber does finally open... We're beset by swarms of vicious Xenos insects. This is what, like the mummy, like scarabs and... They're kind of, yeah, they're kind of uh, kind of like scarabs, right? Like they're, um, they're insects that have, as you open the room, right, you see like one of the walls is actually caved in. Um, and so there are creatures that have managed to enter the barrows and this is a swarm of them. It's in the middle of the, uh, of the jungles of, or outside of Meridian, so it's... Yes, the death jungle, yeah. The death jungle, yeah. So, you know, like, what kind of insect survives in a death jungle? (laughs) Well, they're more gross than dangerous, so we are able to dispatch them. And then we take a look at the actual room. 
Now the walls of this room are engraved in painted relief. We figure out where it starts and the wall ends up telling a story. Yeah, so it shows you the Exodites, it shows you dinosaurs, it shows you mastery of the planet. Well, they came here a while ago, huh? Or I guess maybe this planet had dinosaurs not too long ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it wasn't 65 million years ago. <laughs> Other stuff was happening 65 million years ago in the Warhammer universe. <laughs> Um, and then like, then there's the caved in wall that kind of interrupts this history. And then the next panel, um, after the cave in shows the Exodites fleeing, um, and then a depiction of the jungle itself kind of growing. Ah, well-placed cave in. I wonder what that missing link is. <laughs> huh? We also find the corpse of a long dead Exodite resting in the corner. And there are chambers on either side. And each of those antechambers are filled with sarcophagi that we say, nope, not touching those. Never mind. I don't care. Yeah, you walk into every room and, and like, your natural inclination, of course, is raid the tomb. Mm -hmm. And then your secondary inclination is, we just need to find the spirit chamber. (laughs) Don't get dead. Right. I would like to not get dead. Um, And then, of course, the other object in the room is another door uh, with another simple command obelisk. And after some trial and error, Echo manages to open the door with a few simple thoughts, curiosity and history. Yeah, none of the rest of us would have gotten there. No, you guys were like, (laughs) spirit chamber, spirit chamber now, open sesame, (laughs) explosions, (laughs) violence, I'll beat you up, door, (laughs) violence of action. That's noble, right? (laughs) All right, and we'll find out what happens in that next room next week. So this week, Shane, we are finally here. This is episode number nine in our alignment series, which means we're at the end. We're done with the nine alignments. Oh, my God. (laughs) We finally did it. It took four years. (laughs) All right. So this time, of course, we're talking about chaotic evil. But first, for those of you who may not have listened to the previous eight, let's do a quick rundown of what alignment is as typically depicted in Dungeons and Dragons systems. Okay. So we have nine alignments two axes you've got good and evil and then you've got law and chaos if you're lawful you believe in order duty reliability you think you can't do just whatever you want or society will fall apart whereas if you are chaotic you believe in personal freedom flexibility and self-expression and you know that mindless obedience and deference to authority just crushes the spirit And if you believe in good, then you are altruistic, you respect life, you are compassionate. A good person goes out of their way to help others, even if it might result in harm to themselves. Whereas an evil person is selfish, inflicts harm, and promotes oppression. They will seek personal gain, even if it actively harms others. So you can be, you know, good, uh, neutral, or evil. You can be uh, lawful, neutral, or chaotic, and you stack those two axes on top of each other you get nine different boxes all right so chaotic evil traditionally the bottom right what is chaotic evil the best alignment of course because you are truly free and truly able to do whatever it is that you want anything that you might want to do even though almost always what you want to do is death destruction and carnage yeah you are truly (laughs) free and also truly evil oh yes like actively (laughs) evil like lots of people are free chaotic neutral are free chaotic good are free chaotic evil you're free to do evil you delight in pain or suffering or disorder and you really love disorder if that will cause more pain and suffering or vice versa 
Right. <laughs> anything evil you could do to cause more chaos, that's great. And anything chaotic you could do to cause more evil, even better. <laughs> uh, if this sounds somewhat sociopathic, it's because you probably are. Um, and in most gaming contexts, it means you're probably irredeemable. And yet, there are chaotic evil player characters or NPCs, and sometimes you even keep them around in your game. <laughs> There are a couple presentations of chaotic evil that we should talk about. Um, I think the first one is where you prize evil before chaos. Um, so this is the sort of bad to the bone where you prefer to inflict maximum pain, even if it means like you incidentally serve some greater power. You might temporarily take orders. <laughs> yeah, because you understand this is for the greater evil. <laughs> right. Or, I, I mean, it doesn't have to be greater evil. It could just be... I like breaking people's heads, so I'm going to go break some people's heads for this guy. That's fine. Yeah, but lots of henchmen are chaotic evil, but they still like are part of the union and you get a wage. Right. <laughs> you could also be chaotic more than you are evil. You just desire freedom of personal expression uh, and you have a terrible personality because you mainly want to inflict harm on other people. Uh, you just want to be able to like lash out in every direction constantly. You're selfish and greedy and sadistic, maybe just hedonistic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe sometimes that means that you don't feel like killing somebody right now. Or you don't feel like smashing something. Like You're, you're chaotic. You, you are, succumb to your whims. You know what? I'm sleepy right now, actually. I'm going to take a nap. That's not very disorderly, but I'm fine with that. Right. You might not always be violent, but you are always selfish. Yeah. Um, I, I think those two are pretty straightforward, and depending on your reading, like those are the Joker alignments, right? <laughs> but I think there's there's a couple more that make more that provide a little more nuance. Um, one is the predator. So this is somebody who is chaotic evil because they kind of view the world on a different binary, which is either your predator or prey. This character definitely isn't going to be prey, right? So like. It's first mover advantage in the, uh, you know, kill or be killed kind of world. And there's no place for morality. So you will do evil things to ensure that you come out on top. Yeah, this is sort of like those might makes right societies that maybe a, a PC comes from initially in their backstory or that the party finds themselves thrust into because they need to parlay in some manner. Mm hmm. Then you can also get a delusional antihero. This person thinks they're chaotic good, but they're definitely wrong about that. Yeah, so this is the person who's committing atrocities in the name of greater good, which is, I think, like, half of the chaotic evil playbook is, I'm not a bad person. I'm just doing bad things, but for good reasons. Yeah, for the best reasons. You get this sort of traditional evil druid who's like, I will use nature to destroy civilization because that's better for the earth. But also, I'm, I cause lots of storms and lots of death. It's like the uh, the villains in, like, Captain Planet. <laughs> right, like they're all chaotic well, evil, well, right? Well, Dr. Blight, yes. Loot and plunder, he's uh, he's lawful evil. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> he wears suits. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he just wants to wear suits. Oh, you're right. He just feels like wearing suits today. Like, f*** off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if I'm going to be evil, I'm going to be dapper doing it. <laughs> Do you not love my ponytail? <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a retired wrestler. <laughs> He's got as much gold. He has a lot of chains. It, yeah. it was the 90s. <laughs> All right. So if these are so terrible, then what are some reasons to actually play a chaotic evil character in a game? Well, I mean, 
way to egg the pudding, but <laughs> premise rejection is definitely a real reason to play Chaotic Evil. Um, and this is, we'll talk about this as a pitfall as well, of course, but like, unfortunately, that can be the reality of Chaotic Evil characters is a player who doesn't want to be constrained in an otherwise heroic game plays Chaotic Evil to subvert the rest of the group. Uh, isn't this just a social contract problem? Like, shouldn't this be handled above the table? Mm-hmm. But is it? I guess it depends on in what way this character is chaotic evil in game. Is this a philosophical chaotic evil? <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I think the, the question is just, or the issue is that like so many times we have these horror stories of, you know, the chaotic evil rogue or something, chaotic evil wizard, things like that. And it, almost always seems to involve a player who isn't being forthright in their intentions for playing that character, right? They are pretending to go along with the group to be good. And yet all they really intend to do from the beginning is like impede the players from making progress in the story that everybody else has signed up for. Oh, every character I played uh, from ages 14 to 16. Cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I wrote in the notes that this player is a but it could be that this player is a teenager. <laughs> Which, I'm not apologizing for that. Teenagers are <laughs> I hear teenagers are better than we used to be. <laughs> Probably. I have, I have no idea. <laughs> I try to avoid them. They scare me. Now, if this sounds like something you are interested in doing... Uh, but you want to do it the right way, then you might want to look at this next one, which is you could play someone who is constructively subversive, right? You are, you have chaotic evil tendencies. You're not a good person. You revel in destruction. Uh, you're willing to get your hands dirty, uh, but you use it to the ends of the party, right? right? This is a, the, the paladin in the party maybe like isn't willing to do, what needs to be done and perhaps the paladin understands these are things that they need to get done uh so hey you have no moral objections to almost anything you'll handle it right um but the distinction here as a player is that all the players agree that this needs to be done right and so you are doing the thing that their characters cannot do um, but the players sure would like you to do <laughs> as opposed to do the thing that undermines the characters and the players. Right. You're not here to smash the lines and veils and make everyone uncomfortable. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So this is, I think, probably the the most popular example would be Belkar Bitterly from The Order of the Stick. Mm -hmm. And you can see, like, he has an arc, right? He is very much a chaotic evil, like, whirlwind of destruction who, like, has a, a racial animosity toward kobolds. <laughs> yeah i mean his arc is that what he has a personal attachment to a cat <laughs> yeah right right he makes friends with the cat and it's like wait He's... maybe i don't want to kill everything right exactly yeah. his arc is kill everything to okay kill almost everything yeah and you know he's along with the party and then eventually becomes friends with these people so he's like loyal loyal to the party and of course he doesn't want the earth to be destroyed because that's where he lives right you know? uh, so he becomes a tool that the party uses and you know then there is even some character development for him although it's not necessary right i i think he also straddles the line as like a comic relief or a foil to the party as well, mm -hmm. which is a, a, similar to being kind of subversive, but also just like played for a different effect. Right. 
Um, so he is in his own way, kind of like the evil pet of the party. Um, in that he is always getting, if left alone, he gets up to things that are bad for the party and they kind of have to keep an eye on him. Um, sort of in the way that we have doc in dynasty unwarranted, right? It's like everyone knows that doc isn't a good person and is doing terrible things behind the scenes. And so as a group, we have to kind of keep an eye on old doc. Yeah. And this works in a particular kind of game. If like the filler conversation is, Oh, like, where did Doc go? And he comes back into the room and, and like Cam, the player is like, oh yeah, I was just, you know, experimenting on some, some armsmen and you definitely don't want to go into that room. Like we are not playing out the, the like mental consequences of being in that kind of environment because it's actually not that deep a game in that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a, th- it's a throwaway line. Like it reminds me of what is it? The, the warlock in that webcomic looking for game. Like mm-hmm. off to the side, he's like throwing fireballs at, at villagers and like, you know, they die screaming off panel. Right. Right. But it's more like an ow, ow, blah, rather than like, let's actually play out torture. You know, it's not it's not even narrated. Right. Um, and, I, and then I think it's important here that you've got the buy in, right? Like the players are expecting the sort of chaotic evil mischief to come from this character they want to deal with those consequences they want to add that into the story um even if the characters maybe don't feel so strongly right like the characters could question why do we keep this character around why do we keep doc around why do we keep belkar around but the players are like oh no no no! this is the kind of story we want we want a foil to us being noble do-gooders Right. It's part of the meta narrative. And honestly, it can lighten the mood a bit. If most of you are playing like lawful good types or like, you know, you're on a great quest to save the world, like it can sort of tamp down on the sincerity at the table, which actually can help people mm-hmm. like focus. Right. All right. So if you're chaotic evil, then what are some reasons that you are out adventuring in the first place? Uh, so I think... A common one is that you are a social misfit or an outcast. Um, You know, adventurers don't settle down. So if your personality has you on the run, at least you've got a few strong allies at your back while you're doing it, right? Yeah, you probably ended up as a sellsword anyway, right? Like you you didn't stay in your your quiet village because you either killed too many people in your village or they killed you because they found out. Right. And yeah, if you're like moving from village to village as an adventurer or like part of a mercenary company, it's a really good cover. You can do a lot of collateral damage and then move on and no one will ever find out. Yeah, like no one worries about a few bodies in an alleyway when you've solved the cobalt problem. <laughs> yeah, and adventures in general kind of exist in this like martial law space where, right. like, yeah, they, they are guess are subject to laws, but they also get to take liberties because they they do get to typically slaughter sentient creatures. <laughs> right, because D&D is libertarian hell. <laughs> as long as you're getting paid a few coins for it, need not worry about the legal ramifications. I have purpose here. <laughs> this is obviously sanctioned by this wanted poster. Right. And then I think the one that fits the like archetypal D&D game is just the the need to oppose the greater evil. The chaotic evil character may not be willing to die for a cause, but they're definitely not willing to die because some evil lich completed a ritual and resurrected a dead god. <laughs> like, we are definitely stopping that because the world will be so much worse and I live in the world. Yeah. Right. So I can put it all aside for a little while while we focus on a bigger problem. Yeah, there are so many selfish reasons to like solve the main quest. 
So typically we talk about what kind of moral dilemmas you can present to characters of a particular alignment. But chaotic evil is a little bit tougher because by definition they tend to be less affected by moral dilemmas. Yeah, they're like rejecting the concept of moral dilemma. Like I don't have moral dilemmas. I do what I want. Right. This is a false dilemma. I stab it. Exactly. (laughs) So I I think in the absence of that, what you do is you challenge relationships, right? So any personal relationship that a chaotic evil character has, and this is sort of the difference between chaotic evil and chaotic evil sociopath, right? Um, But you focus on where you can test their limits or the value, um, what they're willing to give up for their friends or for their relationships, right? So what would you do to protect your family, for example? That can either be like, are you willing to sacrifice, you know, something else that you care about in order to protect family? Or do you sacrifice, like, do you do harm to yourself or let harm come to yourself? Which is typically like, you know, your main tenet is do no harm to me Mm -hmm. in order to protect something else. Yeah. I I mean, it, it can run into this problem of, if you challenge a chaotic evil character in this way, they might sacrifice a good character from the party <laughs> instead. Which right? is why, yeah, you need to be careful not to set up like one obvious out to be like screw a party member because that causes intra-party conflict. Yeah, exactly. Or, I mean, unless like that particular character has ab- above the table said like, oh, I think that would be an interesting dilemma. Right. Um, of course, evil characters might not particularly value their family or any personal relationships so there are other things of course that you can challenge um so preserving knowledge or power for wizards is a common one Uh, preserving wealth is of course a a very relatable human kind of interaction right like everybody is after money if they have a little bit of it he certainly wouldn't want to give it up i kind of imagine like the bbeg standing there dangling two things over over the volcano except it's like it's their bag of money and then like their their like fancy armor (laughs) Right. <laughs> Choose one. <laughs> no! They are of equivalent value. <laughs> okay, I'll take the money. I don't want to find a fence. <laughs> All right. So in terms of how chaotic evil characters interact with other kinds of characters, um, they're fairly unique in that they probably don't really differentiate between the philosophies of their other counterparts, right? They probably don't care if you're chaotic good versus lawful good versus lawful evil. Like you're not, you're not me. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Like we, we typically in like in this space, we're talking about like, how does the lawful good character interact with the chaotic good character, right? Like how do their worldviews collide? But for chaotic evil, it's just like, everything is just personal desire. So either I want to do something or I don't want to do something. And I don't really need a a philosophical framework in order to justify it because I said so. Right. Rather than like, what is the alignment of this person who might potentially oppose me? It is how capable are you of potentially opposing me? Right. What are the consequences if like I do or do not let that happen? Right. Um, so these interactions, like keep in mind, you can always reason with chaotic evil characters, but you have to reason with them on personal terms, not higher ideals. Yeah. And I think that's an important point. Like I think a lot of times when people choose chaotic evil characters and they tend to, and they end up being like difficult at the table, it's because they're playing like cackling sociopaths who can't be reasoned with. So I highly suggest you make someone who like is, who has at least internal logic. Mm-hmm. Also, your chaotic evil characters will be prone to grudges and vendettas. Um, this can be a pretty strong motivator as well of like, this person wronged me, or at least I 
like in my opinion they wronged me and i need to settle the score i'd say on the flip side of this though because they have relatively simple desires or needs or relatively straightforward straightforward ones anyway um they can be easier to manipulate uh, if you you know if you know you know what they want you can just offer it to them and they're much more likely to to do that however i think if you're a chaotic evil character and you realize that someone is trying to manipulate you <laughs> then you might react fairly harshly you might want to manipulate a dagger in their back <laughs> <laughs> it's important to keep in mind like the interactions of chaotic evil characters are colored by their time horizon Right, so how far in the future do they think or plan or consider? Right, like that's one of the things about like the Joker as a chaotic evil character that makes him so interesting, but also frustrating is that he doesn't have a master plan. He doesn't intend. He doesn't think, you know, two moves, three moves ahead. He just acts in the moment, um, or like in the current scheme, anyway. Right, um, and then once that's done, like he doesn't have a plan B. That that just is it. Right, like. Whereas you could have a chaotic evil character who sees the big picture and is working on a plan and, and even like an intelligent and complicated and structured plan. Um, but they're willing to kind of put off their indulgences now in order to get what they really want later. Um, so like that balance of how frequently you indulge your impulse is, I think, an important differentiator in chaotic evil characters. Yeah, you get chaotic evil cultists who you know, follow orders because they're going to bring about the end of the world. Right. And or, that'll be awesome. Or I follow orders because I'm going to get paid at the end of this job. And when I have that coin, it's easier for me to do the things that I want to do. So I'm going to do it for now. Yeah. Which could be a PC's entire arc. <laughs> right. Uh, they're yeah. probably paying me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they said, don't kill that guy. So I'm not going to kill that guy, but I really don't like that guy. <laughs> I might kill that guy later. You know what? Maybe they'll pay me to kill that guy later. <laughs> All right. So there's some obvious pitfalls here. If you are going to play chaotic evil. One of course is that you might just be playing. an mm-hmm. But seriously, <laughs> like- <laughs> it is like Playing a character, uh, chaotic evil character is not an excuse to reject the social contract, right? So if you are impeding other players from making progress, from having the spotlight, from having fun, from making meaningful choices, you're playing chaotic evil like an <laughs> Don't do that. Right. You can't just reject the social contract out of hand. Did everyone else give buy-in for this? And if so, then like, why are you, why are you playing a game where being a chaotic evil character would even be a rejection of that contract? Mm-hmm. Like if everyone's just sort of throwing out of the window anyway. Right. You want to make sure that when you are doing in-game selfish things that you are not then also doing out-of-game selfish things. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, a chaotic evil character probably is more likely to like take a larger share of the pot of treasure or or like step in and, and steal the limelight when accolades are being given. But make sure that's not happening at the table. Like don't actually end up with more treasure than than other players and don't actually spend more time at the table like talking or or making roles or like hogging the narrative or stealing items from other party members yeah just just don't do that and and we've talked before about how like it is also incumbent upon players to find a reason why their character is going to stay with the party if you play a chaotic evil character 
truthfully and honestly, I think there will often be times in a long campaign where you would say, actually, I don't think they would stay with the party like they would steal a bunch of stuff and then leave. There are certain types of games where like people are on board with that and that makes sense. And then you bring in another character who's maybe not chaotic evil. And like now you're an NPC and everyone's going to hunt you down and get their stuff back. Sure, I, that could be a thing that might be interesting to some parties. But in general, I think if you are coming to that impasse, talk with your GM, talk with the party and like the players and figure out a way that it is up to you to figure out a, a reason that your character is going to stay with the party in the first place or find like a convenient and relatively painless way for them to exit the party. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I think to be mindful of is that a lot of typically in-character chaotic evil actions are actually just going to override and invalidate other players' choices. So if the group is trying to negotiate... It only takes one chaotic evil person to attempt assassination before that negotiation has failed and it's a fight now, right? So you need to be very careful in how you do that. Like this is sort of a, a constant social contract problem with D&D is just that one person can start a fight, but everybody has to agree to do anything else. The chaotic evil should character should not be the one perpetually starting fights, especially when other characters don't want them. Yeah, especially, especially when other uh, players have specced their characters to be a face and have taken many points in diplomacy. <laughs> <laughs> I, this is literally what, I, what I'm doing. What, 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 stop it. Stop it. That's just going to get you suggestioned. <laughs> right. <laughs> hey, go take a walk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if tabletop rpgs are an improv scenario and you're supposed to be yes anding everybody a traditional chaotic evil character is like no butting right no but i want to do this thing so i'm going to do it so make sure you're tamping down that instinct and it can be tough because that is what you see in fiction typically right the thing is the gm is there to be the agent of chaos in the story right like they're there to introduce like twists and conflict you don't need a player taking that upon themselves, just adding it in without any like kind of greater vision for the direction of the story. Mm -hmm. Now, if you are a GM who is dealing with a character or multiple characters who are chaotic evil, uh, you probably want to give them, both the player and the character, an outlet for those tendencies uh, so that you, know, you can actually play your character without disrupting the story or the party. So... What are some plot hooks that you can actually offer to a chaotic evil character? So we've talked about this already, but hired help. Um, sometimes the job needs some muscle and they need somebody who's not going to ask too many questions. Chaotic evil is a natural fit for this. This is why mooks are chaotic evil. Um, even if that mook happens to be played by a PC. Every adventure started as a mook. Mm -hmm. You know, and every chaotic evil PC probably started as a chaotic evil mook. <laughs> <laughs> So another place that chaotic evil PCs fit in really well is those kind of like taming the wilds frontier type stories, right? Like a chaotic, a chaotic evil character might really appreciate the lawless frontier and like has a violent moral philosophical reason to reject civilization, law, order, like in these places that they consider to be home or a playground, right? Like I'm thinking like, the wild west right like when deadwood was entering like the united states like the town was split on whether they wanted to be a territory and deal with the encroachment of government 
or if they thought things were fine in the camp the way it was. Yeah, I was just thinking Wild West too, totally. Um, it also makes me think of like post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm. It actually may be great to have someone who's chaotic evil and has no qualms about shooting those zombies in the face even though they look like actual real people because they right. never bothered them. <laughs> <laughs> and of course like they are definitely the lesser of multiple evils in this scenario i mean it might even be like that in deadwood right like the sheriff could mm-hmm. be the sheriff could be chaotic evil or maybe more likely like some of the deputies are chaotic evil and they just like the power trip but actually also the townsfolk prefer them to like the outlaw gang yeah it's and then you get the kind of like the devil you know situation yeah. right of like sure like i'm not thrilled with the way that things are here, but it would definitely be worse if something else were to come along, which speaking of kind of (laughs) brings us to our next, which is something worse comes along, right? Uh, The BBEG is encroaching um, and the chaotic evil character has self-preservation in mind. Yep. Not dying or not losing everything that you want, or, you know, those two touchstones that are actually important to you, not losing them, right? Like I want my like little brother to live that quiet life on the farm that he really enjoys because like, because he's mine, right? I'm still being selfish. Right. (laughs) Like he is important to me. Yeah. (laughs) Turns out just, you know, not having our whole territory fall to darkness would be helpful to my long-term survival yeah or like my name and my heraldry those are also important my land should not uh should not be destroyed by darkness right anyone's gonna destroy my land it's gonna be me (laughs) right (laughs) don't get me wrong i don't care about the peasants who work my land it's just my right to use them and abuse them not some stranger's right Uh, a a good chaotic evil character can actually uh, give you a, a nice like rubric for your BBEG, right? Like they need to be worse than this. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise people are like, uh, oh, wow. Who's the real baddie here? Right. <laughs> so I think to kind of wrap us up here, um, it's, it, it's important to be careful when you're introducing chaotic evil PCs into your traditional heroic narratives. Um, and then as part of that, you need to be honest with yourself and with the group of, why you want to play chaotic evil characters. Um, Is it that you are tired of heroic games and you want to play something different? Or is it that you want to add a wrinkle or add a layer or or do something kind of more constructive to the narrative and just have a unique approach to how to deliver that? Yeah, and I'd say make sure that you're having a session zero where you're talking about lines and veils and and the X card if that is the kind of chaotic evil character that you're playing like if any of that is going to happen on screen or or even if it might potentially be triggering to somebody else at the table because you you know most of these things don't usually come up in a traditional heroic game right Um, I I do think like the challenge of playing chaotic evil and like integrating a chaotic evil character can be rewarding for the group if everybody's bought in Um, like we we mentioned we have one in our game (laughs) like I mean Dynasty Unwarranted is just different shades of evil. But, you know, Doc is pretty chaotic evil. Right, everyone else is lawful evil. <laughs> well, <laughs> neutral some of you. Uh, and, of course, you know, there are there are ways to finagle this if all you really want is the flavor of chaotic evil, right? I've talked before about my character, Solomon the Stag, who was a paladin of tyranny and then, you know, guessed by a solar. And so the, the entire campaign was like him doing lawful good things and just grumbling about it the entire time and hating it. <laughs> <laughs> so i got you know i got to play an app but 
not actually be one at the table. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Shane, this is the last one of this series. This is the, the ninth episode. We have been through all nine alignments. And, and now I just have one question for you. Mm-hmm. Well, two, I guess. What is your alignment and why is it lawful evil? <laughs> uh, it's lawful evil because I'm selfish and pretty much all human beings are lawful. Oh, like, because you live in a society. Because I live in a society <laughs> and, like, I generally prefer to have structure and rules around, like, I you would be hard-pressed to find anybody who is freely walking the streets in American society who isn't lawful. Uh, and, yeah, I'm selfish, so I'm evil. Lawful evil I am. Wonderful. But I'm no BBEG, Ishan. Not yet. Now, why are you lawful evil, Ishan? Um, well, I'm definitely, I'm not really not lawful. Uh, I, yeah, I've always liked to think of myself as chaotic good, but so does everybody. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, everyone thinks they're Robin Hood. Yeah, I know. Right. <laughs> but like, are you actually giving away, uh, all of your ill-gotten gains? No. And there was no ethical consumption. So all of it is ill-gotten. Okay. All right. Here we go. <laughs> this is now the socialist rant <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, I, if I had to, if I had to like pinpoint myself, I think probably neutral good i i do think there needs to be a, a balance between like total anarchy i'm certainly not a person who says ah and yes once we break off into small tribes we shall rule ourselves gently and kindly we will not there will be terrible tribalism uh and also that's how you get racism yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh and if we can add north by northwests in here then i'm uh good neutral <laughs> oh my god <laughs> All right, well, join us next week when we talk about the 10th alignment that we just unlocked. <laughs> oh, I think we unlocked uh, uh, 14 more. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, we're done. We're done with there's, this series. There's it, the one true alignment that's remaining. <laughs> it was quite a ride. Triple neutral. <laughs> neutral, neutral, neutral. <laughs> it's the drive reverse alignment. <laughs> I'm just stuck I'm in not, neutral. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not even in gear. <laughs> if not engaged with alignment, exactly. It's fine. We're we're all coasting downhill. It doesn't matter. Throw it in reverse and walk all that back. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Do you hear that, Isha? I think it's the sound of the multiverse cracking as we invent too many alignment particles for it to handle. All right, well, let's move on to the character creation forge and see what grew out of those particles. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we are building a classic. The Eye of Grumpsh. Shane, what is an Eye of Grumpsh? Okay, so the Eye of Grumpsh is the devotees of Grumpsh, who is the orc god of war and destruction. Um, famously, he lost an eye in a battle with the elven god Corallon and now, you know, Grumpsh is the one-eyed god. So, in devotion, uh, eyes of Grumpsh remove one of their own eyes in a grisly ritual. Um, and then, if as long as they do not uh, make a sound in pain, they become eyes of Grumpsh, which are sort of his honored, his chosen. 
What happens when if they make a sound in pain during um, the ritual? There is no penalty, but they don't get the eye back. Oh, they just, they just <laughs> lose, lost, lost an eye. And they can never take the test again. <laughs> what, really? What if you're a, a beholder? who? <laughs> <laughs> okay. I mean, well, I think you have to be an orc or a half orc. There's oh, okay. a physiological problem here. Fine, fine, fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, this was a, a prestige class in prior editions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was like a battlemaster barbarian, right? Like eyes of Grumsh were the leaders of orcs, basically. Uh, they were like senior level orcs, um, and so they had kind of like battlefield control abilities, and then they advanced on like barbarian rage and and that sort of thing as well for their own fighting. However, there were other editions of D anD D, including the current one, uh, where they were sort of treated as the low level clerics of Grumsh. Like in order to sort of get divine power from Grumsh, you had to poke your own eye out. Yeah. Uh, with a stick. Right. <laughs> with a spear, I believe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and, and, like, they have a similar role, I think, because the spells that, like, the monster manual entry for the Eye of Grumsh get are, like, uh, bless and, you know, spiritual weapon, things like that, um, that sort of help enhance your allies on the battlefield. Um, but they are not the, uh, they're, they're not, like, the warlord type battlefield controllers they're they're much more like on the cleric spectrum right it's smash magic right yeah all right so we're going for a kind of a combination of that uh shane what's the build so the build is zealot barbarian 17 war cleric 3 which i believe is the debut of the zealot barbarian i think you might be right i i keep eyeing zealot barbarian because i love the flavor of it um it's it's pretty cool (laughs) it is it is really cool uh, there, there are just so many other good barbarian subclasses, but I think this works really nicely here because the zealot is the smasher, right? Um, so the the trick here, of course, is that you can't cast spells or maintain concentration while you're raging. So as a cleric, you have a little bit limited ability to do things in combat. Um, so the Eye of Grumsh monster manual stat block gets. Um, Guidance, Resistance, Thaumaturgy, Bless, Command, Augury, and Spiritual Weapon, Spear. Um, Those are the spells that it gets naturally. As a War Cleric, you get all of those. Um, But you also get some handy abilities to help you when you're actually raging as well. Um, So so War Priest gives you heavy armor, which you you can't use while you're raging. But it also lets you make a weapon attack as a bonus action up to Wisdom number of times per long rest. So that's just extra attacks you get to make. Um, And then your Channel Divinity... Um, as a war cleric, gives you a plus 10 on an attack roll once per short rest, which pretty much guarantees you hit. Yeah, and I think I used to be really worried about mixing Barbarian with Spellcasters, but uh, it's like white paper theory crafting to assume that you're always going to be raging in every single battle that you fight. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that for the vast majority of this character's life, you have things you can do outside of combat. You have cantrips that you can use. And of course, like as a cleric, you get ritual casting and there are the traditional cleric type things that you can do. Like you cast ceremony, right? You can be the leader of a community, mm-hmm. uh, even if it is of orcs, like all those things need to happen. And I mean, augury is just a fun ritual, right? Oh yeah, totally. And, <laughs> and so grumpy, right? Like right. <laughs> you rip the entrails out of a bird, <laughs> cast some bones. <laughs> <laughs> All right, from Barbarian, you get all the Barbarian great stuff. Rage's Reckless Attack, which combined with the uh, War Priest's Channel Divinity, basically means that you you are never going to miss. Mm-hmm. Uh, Danger Sense and Brutal Critical, which will give you three extra dice. 
Then at level 3, you get Divine Fury, so the first creature you hit on your turn takes 1d6 plus half your Barbarian level, extra Radiant or Necrotic damage. Um, I'm not actually sure which one makes more sense for Grumsh, but it's probably Necrotic. I like the idea of Radiant, because Grumsh always felt to me like he wants more of the spotlight. Like, he lost to Coralon, right? Right. And, like, that's the thing that pisses him off. So I think he might be like, ah, ha, ha, it's so bright and you can't ignore me. You can't ignore me mm. anymore. Yeah, he does. He does kind of like feels like bathed in flame is sort of his aesthetic. So Radiant fits too. Um, and then you also get Warrior of the Gods, which um, casters do not require material components in order to resurrect you, which doesn't sound like a big deal until you're at the market desperately trying to scrounge together 100 gold for a diamond. Oh my god, it's so expensive, right? Revivifies three hundred, raise that is five hundred. I mean, and when you get into like the higher order ones, like keep in mind, like reincarnate, true resurrection, like you can do that for free at any point in history. You can resurrect a warrior of the gods. Like any eye of grumch could potentially come back if there's a powerful enough spellcaster. Uh I think that's uh, it, that is now my head cannon for like how you get so many like high level orc warriors on the battlefield at one time once you have like one capable war boss. Yeah, like the war boss just resurrects all of the uh right, all the, in the last 250 years. <laughs> <laughs> and like none of them died due to old age. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh at level 6 you get fanatical focus, you can reroll the failed saving throw uh once during a rage. At level 10 as a bonus action, once per long rest, you'll be able to give a bunch of allies within 60 feet advantage on attacks and saving throws. Yeah, until the end of the turn. Um, and then at 16, you get Rage Beyond Death. Sorry. And then at 14, you get Rage Beyond Death, uh, which is the which is that cool iconic ability where you don't die at zero hit points when you're raging, but you do make death saves. Um, and you only die if you have zero hit points when your rage ends. So you can keep going indefinitely as long as the cleric, you know, hits you with a healing word before your rage ends, you're okay. Or you, like, suck down a potion. Yeah, well, that too. <laughs> All right, for leveling order, take your five levels of Barbarian to get extra attack, drop in your three cleric, and then finish out Barbarian. So, Shane, who is your Eye of Grumsh? So my Eye of Grumsh is a half-orc um, that never really felt like she belonged and she became an Eye of Grumsh to fit in, which is, you know, perhaps not the best reason to join a clerical order and, and become a devotee of the God of War and Destruction, but it's her reason. Um, anyway, it didn't help. Um, while she was certainly strong enough to survive the ritual and pass the ritual, um, she still didn't fit into her, uh, to her, I don't know, warband, um, and so she left um, of her own volition uh, with the intent of finding, you know, a new warband of uh, warriors that deserve her. And so she wanders in search of that group. I mean, if you're going to save the entire multiverse from Thara's Dune, even Grumsh is probably going to be on board. I mean, yeah, right? And like, look, even good characters have a trail of destruction in their path. So, like, I think, I think Grumpsh will get his. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, trail of destruction in their wake, a swath of destruction? Whatever. Just corpses. They're called corpses. 
<laughs> Who's your eye of corruption? So we kind of alluded to it uh, a little while ago. Do you remember in one of our first plot hooks episodes, uh, I talked about an idea for a campaign where heroes of old are sequestered until they are needed. Yes. And they just sort of like show, they show up, they're summoned again. They like go off and, and, do some sort of like heroic act, heroic act or save the world, and then they're sequestered and basically put back into like stasis sleep. So your eye of Grumsh is like a plus one. Uh, You're like the uninvited <laughs> guest to the uh, to the heroes of legend. <laughs> My eye of Grumsh is is a kind of a bit winter soldiery in that um, when when she dies, uh, she stays dead, and then a high level cleric true true resurrects her as needed. Right, and then of course she doesn't actually like live in orc society or like go go adventuring. She goes out and kills the thing that needs to be killed, or like stops um, whatever uh, kind of existential threat is facing like orc society. And then of course she dies during that. Of course she Mm -hmm. dies during that. You know she is completely reckless, and she knows that like I can just be resurrected again. You know I am. I'm 22 years old. (laughs) As long as an orc cleric exists somewhere in the world who can cast true resurrection sometime in the next 250 years, like, and that sort of resets my timer, right? I I love that this means like she has experienced how much or how little orc society has changed over the course of like a millennium. (laughs) Right. She basically has no idea what year it is, nor does it really matter to her. Right. Because we're still orcs, right? We still hit stuff. So I'm good. I got an axe. We use an axe. We're good on axe. Got it. Oh, good. Good. You know, you know what I like about this whole dying and then coming back to life and then dying thing? The stability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I think actually she's gotten de- derailed for some reason. She didn't die the last time or uh, maybe what the uh, enemy she was trying to destroy did was banish her. Mm. Uh, and now she's away from the battle and has no particular way to die. And it actually doesn't like kill herself because one, that might be dishonorable, but two, like there's no guarantee that her soul is going into the right place where she could be summoned again when needed. So mm-hmm. she's attached herself to an adventuring party. Why not? I um, Oh man. I like this. So if you tie it to the ax that she wields, right? Mm. So the ax itself has the spell in it. Right, has the resurrection spell in it. Oh, so when needed, just somebody who is worthy needs to be able to use it to bring her back. Exactly. And so, like, when her task is done, she goes and, like, has a ritual suicide in her tomb. And then she can be, like, brought back whenever necessary, but that's how she waits. Oh, uh, yeah. I like the ritual suicide aspect because, like, she can't do that right now. She didn't complete the task. Right. Yeah. Nice. And, I mean, like, she's already lost the eye, so (laughs) I guess... Spirit of the brain. (laughs) 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 Ugh, that was macabre. Gross. She'll never see it coming. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, before we wrap up, let's take a moment to thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? Uh, I think, um, oh, wait, I just had it. Hold on. Uh, oh, we're talking about amnesia. And in the character creation forge? We're building the Witcher. Well, that's it for episode 219 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. I'm 
Lisa Chen, and I host Behold Her, a monthly podcast that shines a spotlight on women in the world of tabletop games. There are so many women to behold in this amazing hobby, and our experiences as female gamers are as diverse as we are as individuals. Through one-on-one interviews, audio essays, and panel discussions, all centered around a monthly theme, the guests on Beholder share their unique stories as players, game masters, designers, artists, organizers, and so much more. Their words are inspiring, uplifting, and informative. Check out Behold Her Podcast wherever podcasts are found, or visit beholdherpodcast.com.